Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. dangerous it actually is. I want you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm uh, 19, and I want to read from uh, verse 12 and 13. Uh, actually, before I do that, let me read this in 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, because this has been quite a confusing verse for many people over many years, but I want to shed a little bit of light on this. Now, there's different interpretations to this verse. Um, some believe that when, G- when John's talking about a sin leading to death and a sin not leading to death, he's talking about the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost and it's perfectly viable and it's, it, it can easily be interpreted that way. But I wanted to uh, use this scripture to illustrate what I'm about to talk to you about today. In verse 16, 1 John 5, 16, matter of fact, let's start with verse 14. The Bible says, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. That's talking about faith in conjunction with prayer. That when we pray, we can have confidence and faith that if we're praying anything according to this book called the Bible, that God hears us in it. And if he hears us, then he know, we know that we have the request. We know that he's answered us. Jesus uh, used the same... Uh, almost the same words in math in mark chapter 11 24 he says what things soever ye believe uh or you desire when you pray believe that you have received it believe that god's heard you and he's already sent the package away and you will have them so he's talking about confidence and faith but then in verse 16 john seems to like change pages or change gears and he goes if anyone sees a brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death He will ask and he'll give him life for those committing sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I don't say he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not leading to death. And I believe what I'm about to talk to you about today falls falls under that category of a sin not leading to death, but it's extremely dangerous and harmful and most of the body of Christ does it daily and some preachers even highly speak of it without even knowing that they are lifting up on a pedestal something God abhors with his very being, his very core. Psalm 19 and verse 12, we're gonna get in it, so stay tuned. I'm gonna tell you what it is. I'm gonna tell you how harmful it can be. I'm gonna tell you examples of it in the scriptures and then I'm going to finish off with seven ways you can break free from this sin seven ways you can detach you can disconnect you can be set free and actually obtain freedom in this area that you may not even have known you were bound by it's going to be a day of freedom for you today I'm telling you some people who you feel like, man, I've done everything I know to do, but I feel like I've not gotten that victory. I haven't had that breakthrough. Maybe it's because this is still in your life. And tonight, God's, today, God's going to use this broadcast to highlight that thing and give you a lasting freedom, a permanent deliverance from it. So stay tuned. Psalm 19, verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Secret faults. Things I don't even know I'm doing. 
Keep back your servant, verse 13, from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I will be blameless, and then I shall be innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So the psalmist here says two things that stand out to me. One, cleanse me from secret faults. Cleanse me from secret faults, things that are secret even to myself. If I'm doing, you know, that's a prayer I always ask the Lord. And it comes out of Psalm 139 where it says, Lord, search my heart and know me. Keep me back. Keep me back from any sin or lead me out of any harmful way and lead me in the everlasting way. Take out from me any harmful thing that I'm doing that I might not even be aware of and lead me in the everlasting way. When you're truly born again, you're going to pray prayers like that. You're going to pray, God, things that I know I'm doing, give me grace to never do them again. And the things that I don't even know I'm doing, highlight them to me. Matter of fact, let me read. This scripture just popped up, not in my notes, but I feel like it's totally, totally uh, applicable to what I'm trying to say. In John chapter 3, John chapter 3, Jesus says these words, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in Jesus is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, Jesus. And men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone, this is what I wanted to zone in on. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light. He who loves the truth, he who clings to truth, comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they've been wrought in God or done in God. So Jesus is saying, when you're truly born again, you're going to want everything in your life to be exposed so that you can deal with it and live a life of repentance and faith towards God, whereby by the Spirit, you're putting to death the evident sins that everyone sees and then the hidden secret ones that nobody can see unless they had an x-ray scanner that can see your heart. Jesus is saying here, someone who doesn't love the light, someone who's not born again, they stay away from the light. They want to indulge in these things. They don't want to break free from this stuff. They, they like it being around. But those that are genuinely born again, they come to the light so that the light can expose to themselves that everything can be seen. You know, if you're in a dark room, there could be all kinds of gas and smoke and, and, and um, dust particles in the air. And you could be sneezing because of the dust particles. And you say, I don't know what's going on. Am I allergic to something? But you've put on some very, very bright lights like I have right here in my studio. And you're going to see Things you couldn't have seen if there was a level of darkness there. You couldn't, things you couldn't even see, even see if there was just a little candlestick that was lighting up three feet of light of, of area space in front of you. When big lights are illuminating the room, all of a sudden you see the particles of dust. You see all the imperfections of the room. You know, when you're going to paint a, a wall, if you, if that painter paints the wall and you examine it at night, 
You might say, well done, good painter. Well done, good painter. You've done an amazing job. But then daytime rolls around and you open up the blinders and the daylight just beams itself onto the wall. And all of a sudden you're saying, oh my gosh, he missed a spot. Goodness gracious. He only put one coat. You can pretty much see this, the, the old paint hiding behind. And that's what happens to a lot of Christians is because they don't want to come to the light, because they don't aggressively pursue the light, they end up being a coat of paint where the old life is still evidently beaming through or evidently seen, uh, even though there's a cone of paint. You've had a certain level of transformation, but there's still that old self, that old nature that people can see. That's what the light does. It shows you what needs to be changed, the imperfections, the things that need to be slightly slightly tuned, finely tuned. You know, if I take, you can study, uh, you know, NASA and, 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 and space launches and all that stuff. If they launch their spaceship at just a half a degree difference from what would land them on the moon, they might not ever, they will never hit the moon. Just a half a degree with that level of difference, uh, of distance rather, is going to totally put them off course. So they spend a lot of time trying to finely tune. And I'm telling you, there are things in our life that need to be finely tuned or else you're going to live a life of frustration because you think you're doing everything well, but because you haven't had yourself finely tuned, you're still off course, you're still missing the mark, which is what sin is. I talked about the sin that leads to death, a sin that does not lead to death. And what I'm talking about today, I believe to be a sin that doesn't lead to death, however, it will launch you totally off course. It'll launch you totally off course unless it's finely tuned. Harmatia is the word, the Greek word for sin, which literally means to miss the target, to miss the bullseye. Anything that misses the bullseye of God's perfect holy standard is sin. Anything that misses the bullseye of God's perfect holy standard is sin. And David here in Psalm 19, we read it before, talks about keep me back from presumptuous sins. Sins I don't even know I'm doing, but that's still wrong. It's setting me off course. And it's actually doing damage to my life, whether I know about it or, know, or, or don't know about it. James 1, James 1 talks about the peril of sin and how all sin is to be rejected and all sin whether it looks you know matter of fact let me read this i think this is a good time to read it first timothy chapter 5 and 24 listen to this first timothy chapter 5 verse 24 some men's sins are clearly evident preceding them to judgment so paul's saying there's some sin that it's it's evident not only in that they did it, it's evident in its consequences. You know, you have someone that goes and commits adultery with another woman. The woman gets pregnant and now has a child out of wedlock and this man's married. That news is going to come. That news is going to be spread. That man sins. He's going to suffer the consequence immediately preceding him to judgment, meaning he's not going to get to the judgment seat of God one day, and then finally everyone's going to know his dirty laundry. His dirty laundry has already been revealed because it preceded him. The consequences preceded the final consequence of judgment. 
There's the sin of anger. You know, that tight end in New England Patriots that is, is dead now. He committed suicide in prison, but his name was, I think, um, what was his name? Uh, not Tony Gonzalez. Uh, what was the tight end? If anyone knows the name, tight end for the New England Patriots that got accused of or got convicted of murder. That whole murder that put him in behind bars and ultimately led to him killing himself because it just ruined his life. Hernandez, that's right. Anthony Hernandez. He, that all started with him getting bad news that I think his sister-in-law was being um, treated unfairly by, I don't know if there was physical abuse or whatnot, but the, his sister-in-law was being treated unfairly by uh, her boyfriend and it triggered, he was at a bar drinking. He, he was under the influence of alcohol. He got very angry. He got his Glock. He went to the guy and he popped him right in the chest and killed him. All of that came from anger. The sin, the consequences that followed that preceded him to judgment because he got thrown in jail. Anger can lead to you to doing things that have dreadful consequences that precede judgment, that are evident to everyone. So Paul's saying there are sins that cannot be hidden. There are sins that precede to judgment. Drinking, you get drunk. You wake up next to someone that's not your wife. You know, now you've done something you wouldn't have done if you were sober. That sin's going to precede you to judgment. People are going to find out no matter how hard you try to cover that thing up, it's going to, it's truth will always spring out of the grave. Drinking can bring an immediate consequence. Smoking can bring an immediate consequence. You smoke long enough, your lungs will get all toasted. And then you get a bad diagnosis. Gambling can bring an immediate consequence. So I'm showing you there are sins that are clearly evident. You go to a casino in a moment of weakness. You end up spending more than you could. You should have spent. You gambled. You've sinned. And now your kids can't go to college and they grow up the rest of their life hating you because you spoiled their college fund. So you understand what I'm saying here. Paul is saying there are sins that are evident preceding them to judgment. But then he goes... But those of some men follow afterwards. They follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those are otherwise cannot be hidden. So Paul is saying there are some sins that you commit that you might not see the immediate consequence of it today. You might not see the damage being done today. You might not see the uh, horrendous after effects that are coming, happening right now, but mark my words, Paul is saying, they will follow later. And I believe the sin that I'm about to get into today is exactly that. It is a sin that can be hidden. It is a sin that can be disguised as something else. It is a sin that can be easily tucked away, put under a rug. But mark my words, its consequences, the results of it, the symptoms of carrying this load in your heart is going to unravel and follow you later. What is this sin that you may not know is sin, but it's having dangerous effects on your life? It is the sin of worry. The sin of worry. Drinking brings an immediate consequence sometimes. Alcohol, smoking, gambling, anger, you said some things you shouldn't have said. It brings a clear, evident consequence. But worry will draw a deluge of troubles 
that is not yet seen, but will soon follow. Will soon follow. That is why worry, oftentimes when people preach about it, I've heard it in a lot of churches, they talk about worry or doubt or whatever, and they downplay it. They downplay it. They almost, the preachers almost sympathize with it. They almost talk about exploring your worries. You know, cling to those worries. You know, those worries, worry is actually a sign, God drawing you near. All that mumbo jumbo that's not found anywhere in the Bible. I'm going to show you how Jesus saw worry. And how it actually triggered in Jesus a rebuke every time he witnessed or evidenced worry everywhere he went. You know, you hear some preachers, they sympathize with worry as if it's some nonchalant thing. But would you listen to a preacher that sympathizes with sexual immorality? Would you listen to a preacher that sympathizes with abortion? Would you listen to a preacher that sympathizes with cheating on your taxes or anything like that? With sleeping around, with anger, with murder? You absolutely would not. And yet this sin of worry oftentimes is totally overlooked or sympathized with because it's something that every person has to deal with. But I'm going to show you in the moments to come how you can actually break free from worry forever, forever. I mean, it's not some far-reaching thing. It's something the Holy Ghost can give you power to overcome where you're not a worried mother, where you're not a worried father, where you're not a worried businessman or businesswoman, where you're not a pack of nerves. It is an awful testimony to the world when we are a pack of nerves, where we walk around like chickens without heads, not knowing what's coming, where we've come from. It does not bring a good testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is called the Prince of peace you can't claim to have your hand joined with his nail scored hand that is the prince of peace and then go out and sounding like you're on a mental breakdown every single day and this is not a rebuke to you this is me i believe by the holy ghost bringing something to light today and i believe god's going to bring you total freedom 100 freedom from this sin of worry there's a lot of preachers you know, on the flip side, you have a lot of preachers, they, they totally attack many sins. They, they, and it's rightfully so. You should, by your preaching, should make those that are in sin uncomfortable and convicted to the point of repentance. But they'll, 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 they'll talk about, you know, the sin of, of, of uh, anger, sin of theft, sin of uh, idolatry, sin of, of um having other gods before God, before, before Jesus, and talk about the sins of, of all these things. But when's the last time you heard a sermon on the sin of worry? Sin, a worry is a sin that I believe challenges God more than any other sin. Because worry actually is a challenge to the integrity and character of God. The reason why I believe it's an abomination in the eyes of God, the reason why I believe it actually challenges God the most, the reason why I believe it's abhorrent to God, I think even more than a lot of the stuff we talk about in church and describe as sin from the Bible, the reason why I believe that it's more abhorrent and more evil in the eyes of God is because it is a challenge to God's integrity and nature of love. You know, when the 12 spies came back, 
and the 10 spies gave an, a report of unbelief. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 13 that they gave an evil report of unbelief. What did they tell the people? They said, you should worry. They spread worry. Just like God wants to make you into a person that spreads faith, there, there are people that are anointed to spread worry. These 10 spies brought back an evil report of unbelief and they spread worry through the entire camp. They told the people, you're not able to do it. You're not able to overcome. You're not gonna defeat those giants. You're not gonna overcome those walls. They're fortified cities up until heaven. You might as well give up, throw in the towel and quit because the odds of you winning this battle are very slim to none. And they spread worry and God swore in his wrath, the Bible says. It actually irritated him. It angered him to the point where he swore in his wrath. He said, none of you over the age of 20 are going to enter in to my rest and to the promised land. None of you. Except for Caleb and Joshua who had another spirit which is the spirit of faith. I believe the Lord wants to remove the spirit of fear from you today, the spirit of unbelief, the spirit of worry that causes you to constantly be pessimistic in perspective. You're always looking at what's against you. You see the giant, instead of seeing a big forehead to knock down, you just see insurmountable odds and a giant that's gonna wipe you out. You don't have that Davidic perspective of faith. I believe God wants to change your perspective today by extracting this spirit of worry and this spirit of fear from you and injecting into your very core the spirit of faith like Joshua and Caleb had when they said we can by all means obtain the promised land because our God is our helper the Lord's on our side those that are against us are fewer than those that are with us yes one third of the demons or the angels fell and they became demons and fallen angels and are against our advancement but there's still two thirds of the the angels and God himself the Holy Ghost and the Son that are on my side that are my helper and I know my tomorrow's going to be all right because no weapon formed against me can prosper for the Lord has said touch not mine anointed do my prophets no harm when God is for a man even Gamaliel the Sanhedrin the, the Pharisee he said if the Lord is for them we will be found fighting against God and our efforts will be futile when the Lord is for you Every effort against you is futile and it'll come to nothing. But I want that spirit of faith to come into you today where you quit worrying about sickness, quit worrying about finances, quit worrying about your children, quit worrying about the world and the news reports and everything coming out. And instead, when men are saying casting down, you'll be one of the remnants of faith that rise up and say, no, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. There is a lifting up. We're going forward and upward the path of the just is shining brighter and brighter for me because I belong to Jesus and Jesus is too good to cause me to slip up and fall he's got me he's holding me up in his right hand and I'm gonna rise higher and higher even unto that perfect day hallelujah hallelujah Matthew chapter 6 this is the words of Jesus so if you think I'm being I'm being uh, exaggerating I'm exaggerative on, on, on worry being a sin. If you think that I'm being a little harsh, that worry is a, by stating that worry is a sin. Let's read what Jesus said, okay? 
Jesus says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. I want you to type that in the comment section. I will not worry about my life. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. That's Jesus' words to you. Do not worry. Well, I'm not an English major, but if Jesus said, do not do something, then if I do that something, what have I done? I've committed sin. I've missed the mark. I've missed the bullseye of how Jesus wants me to operate, which is equal to sin. It's sin. You know, that's what Jesus came to do in this New Testament. You know, he says in, in, in actually Matthew chapter 5, he says that it has been heard that you shall not murder. But I say to you, don't even get angry with someone without a cause in your heart. He's saying that just getting angry with a brother is murder. He says, you've heard, don't commit sexual immorality. But I say to you, don't even lust for a woman or a man in your heart because in doing so, you have committed sexual immorality. So he's, he actually, the law was, don't do this with your hand, don't do that with your hand. But if you, you can think, imagine everything you want, but don't do it with your hand. Jesus says, no, no, no. The law yeah, sure, you can follow all the ordinances, you can follow all that stuff, but ultimately sin out of the heart proceedeth, out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, fornication, angry, revelry, and all sorts of evil things, false witnesses and lies. He says out of the heart. So Jesus actually says the law was a tutor to show you that you can't uphold God's holiness, but I've come not to abolish the law. He says, I've come to fulfill the law, to get to the very spirit of the law, which was a heart issue in man. That you can try all you want to not do with your hands, but ultimately, unless the heart experiences a change, then you still fall short of the glory of God. So Jesus, you know, this is where the law's level was. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Jesus says, don't lust in your heart. He brought it to a whole new level. Don't lust in your heart. Don't get angry with, pe angry with people. And so now he's going on. And again, he's addressing a heart issue, the, the issue of worry. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food. And the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single cubit to his stature? Can you make yourself grow? By worrying? Can you grow anything? Does it add anything to your life? In Luke's version, I think it's in Luke 7, Jesus says... If you could not fulfill the least of things, why are you worrying about the rest? If you couldn't get yourself out of bed this morning without the help of God who woke you up, why are you worried about the rest of what your day will entail? If you couldn't bring yourself to work today unless it had been God not only waking you up but giving you the strength to get yourself to work, then why are you worried about the rest? If you couldn't even have a child, children are a heritage of the Lord and the inheritance of the Lord. If you couldn't have a child without God's help, then why are you worried about the rest, about how their life will come to pass? Jesus, uh, Proverbs says, just train him up in the way of the Lord and God promises 
is to sustain them so that when they're old, they'll not depart from the faith. If you could not, could not give life to your child, why are you worried about sickness coming into your child? If the same God who gave life, the same God who gave life to your child is the same God that can sustain your child and give health to your child and strengthen your child when they're not feeling well and when they got fever. If, it, if you cannot do the least of these, why are you worried about the rest, Jesus says. If you could not get yourself a job without the favor of God on your, on your life, why are you worried about that promotion and next in line for the promotion? If you couldn't come up with the business idea, you have a business now, and you, God gave you that business idea. If he did the very least of those things, and you had no part to play other than just to put your hand to the plow and start to execute the vision, but it was God's vision and God's idea. If God started you out, essentially what Jesus is saying, if God started you out, why are you worried about not finishing well? He that began a good work in you shall bring it to pass, bring it to completion. He is able, the Bible says, to confirm you faithful to the end. The Bible says he's able to present us without fault, without stumbling before his throne. The Bible says the God of peace will sanctify you entirely and preserve you spirit, soul, and body until the coming of the Lord. Jesus is saying, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. The very reason you have bread and food in your fridge today is because the Lord brought it to you. And if the Lord brought the little bread to you, why are you worried about not having more? So do you, don't worry, why do you worry, verse 28, about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Jesus is saying, if you couldn't put clothes on your back, but the very reason you're clothed today is because the Lord clothed you. He's saying the source of everything, food, drink, money. So all these preachers that say we don't talk about money here. Well, you're doing the body of Christ a great disservice because the number one cause of divorce is financial stress. And one of the main causes of depression and suicide is financial stress. So you have a bunch of patsy preachers that can't talk about money and it's leading to a confused, distraught body. I'm not going to shy or shrink back from declaring anything that the word of God has to talk about. So he's saying, if you can't clothe yourself and you, you can't feed yourself, why are you worried about the rest of life? God's saying, I've got you, my daughter. I've got you, my son. You couldn't supply the least of these. I did it. And so everything else, that's what we're going to get into. Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Lilies, the grass, the, the, the flowers. They neither toil nor spin. They don't even work hard. I'm not against working hard. Listen to me. He that does not work should not eat. So I'm not saying don't work, stay in bed all day. What he's saying is that it's not work or efforts that's going to make you in life. I made myself, they say. No, you didn't. It's not work. It's not effort. A man can receive nothing unless it is given to him from heaven, the Bible says. So it's not, it's not you making yourself. It's not you. It's not just hard work. Because unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor do what? Labor in vain. They labor uselessly in futility. It doesn't do anything. I know a lot of people that work very hard and they've got to work five jobs, four jobs, because not enough is coming in. 
The Bible says, they gather in what you give them. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, whatever you give them, Father, is what they gather in. A man can receive nothing unless it's given to him from heaven. So Jesus is saying that. They don't toil, they don't spend, and yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more? Think of Solomon. Get the, 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 the immensity of this statement. Listen to the depth of this statement. We're talking about not some Joe Schmo on the side of the road. We're talking about Solomon here. Jesus didn't choose Solomon for no reason, he chose Solomon because the Jews understood Solomon to be the richest king to ever live. They understood Solomon to be the most wise. They understood Solomon to have a kingdom so great that the queen of the east came and fainted when she saw it. So he didn't pick Solomon because let me just draw a name out of the hat. That was on purpose because he wanted to show you the lilies of the field, they don't toil or spin. And I say to you that even the richest king of all of all of Israel that you so respect, the son of David, Solomon, the king that brought peace for a generation, who was clothed in royal apparel, he said, if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into fire, will he not much more clothe you, much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, don't worry, he says it again saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? After all these things, the Gentiles seek. In the New Living Translation, it says, these are the things that dominate the minds of unbelievers. These are the things that dominate the minds of worrisome people. I pray by the end of this broadcast, you're not a worrisome person anymore, but you're someone who truly identifies, recognizes, and believes that God is your source these are the things that dominate the minds of unbelievers. But then Jesus says, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, food, shelter, health, life, strength, all these things that people work overtime to obtain that worry and strive and live in mental bondage because they're uncertain about their future in these areas. All those things, Jesus said, I'm going to drop them into your lap for free. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything that dominates the minds of unbelievers and they worry about those things. I will add them to you. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Let me make a statement that I heard R.W. Shambach, a great evangelist who's uh, since been gone home to be with the Lord. This is what he used to say quite often in his meetings. And I want you to pay special attention to this because it's an incredible statement. He says, worry is pain interest on a trouble you don't even have. Worry is pain interest on a trouble you don't even have. Could you imagine you started to get bills from Ashley's furniture for furniture you never even bought or have in your home and the bill, it just kept on piling up with interest payments month after month, 20% interest payments. It's just piling up. Then now they're sending you, uh, banks are sending you uh, uh, threats of taking your home away. 
And that just piled up, taking your car away. You started to get a knock on your door. We're here to possess your home and repossess the items in your home. That's what interest does. But imagine you never even made the, the payment. You never even went to Ashley's Furniture and bought any chair or bought any TV or bought any console tables or whatever. And yet you still receive these interest statements, these receipts, these bills that are demanding that you pay 20% of a $30,000 bill that you never even paid or asked for. Well, that's what worry is. You're paying interest on things you don't even have in your home. People that live day after day, year after year, stressed out with the possibility of sickness. They're not even sick. You're wasting your life. There's some people who won't even take a step out of their bedroom for fear of sickness. They're wasting their life and everything God, you know, you're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God made you to walk in. There's all these good works. There's all these great things the Lord wants to use you for. And yet there are people who won't even step out of their bedrooms for fear of sickness and premature death. They're wasting away their life. There's some people who won't, they will not attempt any great thing for God because they have an idea that they're not even going to make it past 40 years old or 50 years old. So why would I even try? Why would I even do that? They're paying interest on something they don't even have. They might even live to 95 years old. There's some people who at 30 years old wasted all the opportunities and possibilities and potentialities of what God wanted them to do because they were afraid. They, they didn't think they were going to make it past 40 or 50 years old. And now they're 93 years old, sitting in a rocking chair, looking back and saying to their husband, Ernie, I wish we had done this. I wish they, we had done that. In regret, I don't want you to regret. I don't want you to sit down at 90 years old and look back at all the things you could have done, but you were too afraid and too worried about what could have happened and the possibilities of downturn and downfall instead of just looking and ma or maintaining rather a possibility mindset. I don't have an impossibility mentality. I have a possibility mentality because I know that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and God who started me out ain't gonna drop me. If God started me, he'll bring me to a finish. So worry is paying interest on things you don't even own. There's some people who they start to have increased finances and automatically worry starts to settle into their heart because they say, well, how long is this going to last? I hope this lasts. I hope this lasts. Let's start saving. Let's start saving. Then they stop giving their 10% in their offerings because, you know, let's start saving for a rainy day. Let's start saving for a rainy day. We don't want that rainy day is coming. They live in expectation of downturn and failure instead of living in expectation uh, that what eye has not seen, ear has not heard, what has never entered the heart of man. Those are the things that God has prepared for those who love him, for those that cling to his purpose. I know the thoughts I have for you, says the Lord. They're thoughts to bless you and to, to increase you, not to harm you or to throw you down. It's essentially the message of the Bible. I'll take you in your small state and I'll lift you up. And when I lift you up, you don't have to worry about going back. When God changes your level, he changes it for good. I've learned this last year more than ever before. When God changes your level, he changes it for good. So when the Lord blesses you, it's not a time to go into panic mode. It's not a time to say, oh, how long is this going to last? When the Lord starts blessing you, when the Lord starts increasing you, when the Lord starts, you start to see things. There's some people, 
I don't know if it's they grew up in a home of pessimism or whatnot, but there's some people that the moment things starts to turn favorably for their situation, the moment things start to line up well, the moment things start to look like there's light at the end of the tunnel, they immediately shrivel up and think of all the horrendous things that could possibly happen right now. That's no way to live. That is worry, and it is a sin. Worry is a sin. Out of the heart, Matthew 15, proceeds evil thoughts and false witness. Worry is evil, is an evil thought because it brings, it, it, it expresses distrust in God's goodness and his love for you. Jesus said, out of the heart proceeds false witness. Worry is false witness about the character and the works of God, his ways. That's why worry, that's why, uh, you know, Jesus said, out of the heart proceeds these sins, false witness. Worry is bearing false witness against God. It's ultimately believing that God's character is not as he has revealed himself in the Bible. He truly has a sadistic way and approach to life. Worry is ugly because when you break it down to its core, it comes down to this. It is challenging the core of who God is and he is true. Worry is rooted in unbelief and doubt. It is stating that God is not who he says he is. He cannot do what he said he can do. It is challenging the integrity of who God is. And in Philippians 4, 6, again, New Testament, Paul, speaking to the Philippian church, he says, be anxious for nothing. Another command. Another command. You can't pick and choose your favorite six commandments. And, oh, I'm good at that, so I'll do that. I'm not good at that. That uh, anxious stuff, I, I'm really prone to anxiety, so I'm not going to obey. It's, an, it's a command. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for something? No. Be anxious for nothing. And in all things, by prayer and supplication, which is leading me to how to overcome the sin of worry. Seven ways to overcome the sin of worry. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to get into point number one. I'm going to, I'm going to jump through these quickly. Because I know we're already 40, uh, 50 minutes in. Point number one, how to overcome the sin of worry. Remember, worry is more dangerous than you think because it's worry that got Peter to sink when he was walking on water. Faith allowed him to walk on water and then worry settled in when he looked at the wind boisterous. He didn't discipline himself on his attention and his focus when he looked at the natural elements and he looked at, at, at the wind and the threats around him. He started to sink. Worry will cause you to sink. Faith will cause you to rise. Worry will cause you to sink. Faith will cause you to rise every single day of the week. You look at Martha and Mary. Jesus comes to the, their house and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha's running around worried. How are we going to get this done? How are we going to do this? How are we going to finish that? We need to get this table set. There's people coming over in an hour. We don't know. And Jesus, when Martha came and said, don't you care that I'm working here alone while my sister Mary's just sitting and listening to your word? Tell her to come and help me. Jesus replied, Martha, Martha, you are worried and anxious about many things. You're troubled. Trouble comes from being troubled. When you are troubled in worry, it actually is like a magnet for more trouble. That's why Jesus said you are worried and troubled amongst, among, uh, about many things. But only one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good thing and it will not be taken away from her. 
It won't be taken away from her. Job worried and was troubled that perhaps his children had cursed God while they were drunk and they would die. And he began to offer up sacrifices, not out of worship, not out of love for God, but he was doing it to cover up their, his children's sins when they were getting drunk and having wild parties. And the Bible says in Job 3 and verse 16, I believe it is, or 322, it says, The thing which I have dreaded has come to me, and that which I greatly worried about or feared has, has come upon me. Worry is a, that's why I titled this the sin you didn't know you were, that was sin and how dangerous it actually is. Because your life is not determined by God's sovereignty. I have to say it. Your life will not be determined by God's sovereignty. If that were the case, why isn't everyone saved? Because God desires all men to be saved. Why isn't everyone saved? His sovereign will is for everyone to be saved. God's will is not always implemented on the earth. And that needs to be understood. That's why there's a lack of evangelism. Well, if God wants them saved, God, we just pray you'd reach those Christians in North Korea. He's not going to reach those Christians in North Korea without people being actively involved and co-laboring with him. Paul said, I water, uh, I plant, Apollos watered, God gives the increase. Meaning, Paul, if he had just believed the sovereignty stuff... He would have just said, God, I thank you that your desire is all men to be saved as I sit here now by the beach in Capernaum or in Caesarea Philippi as I'm fishing and spending the rest of my days just fishing and spending life with virgin pina coladas and just having fun with people. I thank you that you're sending your angels out and sovereignly moving upon the people in Rome and the people in Ephesus and the people in Thessalonica and the people all around Corinth. I thank you that they're being saved right now. They're being discipled. They're being helped. They're being... That's what Paul would have prayed. But what did Paul pray rather? He said, I am burdened to preach the gospel to Greeks and to barbarians and I have a sense of duty and as much as is in me, I will preach the gospel at Rome also. And he said, the love of God compels me to preach wherever I go. He said, woe with me if I don't preach the gospel. He had efforts that backed up his heart. So this whole sovereignty thing, whatever happens, happens. We know it's the will of the Lord. No, it's not. Because I can tell you that a guy going into a bank and shooting it up and seven tellers, three of them that were 65, seven-year-old, nice Christian woman that led seniors worship on Wednesday mornings at their church. It wasn't God's will to kill them. Absolutely not. So you have to be brain dead to think that by his sovereignty, everything just happens and there's nothing we can do to add or nothing we can do to subtract. No, God has given us in his sovereignty the ability to choose life or choose death, choose blessing, choose cursing, choose faith or choose fear. It's a choice. It's a choice. Peter chose faith. He walked out of the boat on water. But then when he had the opportunity to choose fear, he chose fear and he began to sink. He began to sink. So how do you overcome this sin of worry? How do you do what Paul said to be anxious for nothing? Number one method, scriptural method of overcoming worry is very simple. Prayer. Philippians 4 and verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Now if the verse ended there, we could just close our eyes and real tight and frown as much as we can and just shrug our heads back and forth like some Christians do and just say, be anxious for nothing, be anxious for nothing, be anxious. That's not going to do anything. Paul then goes on and gives us a prescription. He gave the diagnosis. 
that there's some people that are anxious, but now he gives the prescription of how to break free from anxiety and worry. How to cut off this dreadful, dangerous sin of worry. Why is it dangerous? Because just like faith obtains a good report, worry obtains a bad report. And I'll reiterate what I said before of the 12 spies, the 10 spies, they didn't get the taste of the promised land. The two spies who had a good report of faith, they got to partake of the promised land. So faith brings a good report. Fear or worry brings a bad report. That's why it's the most dangerous sin a Christian can, can indulge in. Be anxious for nothing, but what does he say? But in everything, so whatever you're anxious for, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. So it's not a momentary peace that you experience in prayer and then you go back out of your prayer closet and the worry like a flood just comes rushing in. No, it says the peace of God will actually set up a, a fort around your mind and around your heart whereby you'll be guarded or protected against worry in future instances. If you are prayerless, you will be, you will be uh, fearful. If you are prayerless, you'll be fearful. You'll be loaded down with worry. Show me people that don't pray, and I can tell you those are people that worry. Because you have two options when bad news comes your way. You have two options when a thought of worry comes your way. You have the option of just spewing out the worry and talking about it and calling all your friends and saying, hey guys, I just feel like that. Or you have the option, which is the scriptural way, to start praying about it. Matter of fact, this would be a great practice for you to begin uh, exercising from today. Any time from this moment onward that you feel worried about something, instead of just entertaining that thought, just learn to pray about it. Because 1 Peter 5, 7 says that we are to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. Cast our cares. Lay your burden down in prayer and don't pick it up again. That's what happens. A lot of people, they pray about something. They pray about something that's been troubling them. But the moment they say, in Jesus' name, amen, they pick it right back up, put it on their backs, carry the weight of it all throughout the day, and they feel no different. If you're just going to take up the care that you just laid down in prayer, then there's no point in praying. What was the point in praying? You pray about it. You lay it at the feet of Jesus. You do what Mary did. She has chosen that good part. She stayed at the feet of Jesus. And what did it do? It laid off. She wasn't anxious or troubled about anything. The Bible says in Philippians 1.19, I know that this will turn out. Paul's in prison now with opportunity to worry, but instead his confession is, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and supply of the Spirit of Christ. Prayer gave Paul in the Philippian jail, it gave Paul an unshakable confidence in God's ability to deliver. Worry is like the waves of the sea. It's like a man who's like a wave of the sea. He's up and down. His emotions fluctuate up and down and all around. 
When you pray, it actually injects in you an unshakable confidence in God's ability to deliver. That's why he said, I know that this is going to turn out for my deliverance. He didn't say, I don't know what the future holds. He said, I know that this is going to turn out for my deliverance through your prayers. Through your prayers. In prayer, there is a spiritual transaction that's being made whereby the Lord extracts your worry about a certain situation and then in its place, he deposits peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm going to say that again. In prayer, there is a spiritual transaction that takes place whereby the Lord extracts your worry concerning that thing you're worried about and in its place, he deposits a peace that surpasses all understanding, a confidence. Prayer deposits in the individual an unshakable confidence in God's ability to make all things work together for our good. Hallelujah. You know, in Isaiah chapter 37, I want to read this. Isaiah chapter 37, Hezekiah is surrounded by the Assyrians and King Sennacherib is threatening all of the Jewish people that he said the the gods of the other nations, they weren't able to deliver them from my hand. Your God's not going to be able to deliver you from your hand, from my hand. As my father's dominated, I'm going to dominate. Just don't let Hezekiah falsely persuade you by words that this, is, this situation is going to turn around for your good. Hezekiah was being threatened by Sennacherib. Sennacherib was launching words that were targeted at the men and women's hearts that were hearing them trying to weigh them down with these words of discouragement these words of trouble these words of threats and look listen listen to what verse 21 says matter of fact verse 14 says hezekiah when he received the words from the hands of the messengers the letters and he read it he went up to the house of the lord and spread it before the lord hallelujah and hezekiah prayed to the lord Hallelujah. Man, that's by the Spirit because I had no point, no, I had no uh, intention in going there. The Bible says when he heard the words and he received the letters that King Sennacherib had written out, the threats, we're going to kill you. We're going to demolish the walls of Jerusalem. We're taking you down. You're going to be our slaves. What did Hezekiah do? He brought the letters. He brought those troublesome, worrisome words and he spread it out before the Lord in prayer. And he said, oh, Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherub, you are God who alone of, all, uh, alone of all kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ears, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear all the words of Sennacherib. You know, you can do the same thing today. Hear what wicked organizations behind closed doors are planning. Hear what CNN is projecting is going to happen in the next coming years. Hear what the WEF form and Klaus Schwab and all those nutcases are planning for us to eat crickets and all that garbage. Hear their threats. Hear the threats of nuclear war. Hear all these things. Incline your ear, open your eyes, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly the Lord, the King of Truly, Lord, the king of Assyria has laid waste all the nations of their lands and have cast their gods into fire, for they were not gods, but the works of man's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord and you alone. Then has Isaiah, the son of Amos, verse 21, sent to Hezekiah, saying, this is important, get this, 
Thus says the Lord God of Israel. So Hezekiah takes the troublesome, worrisome words, spreads it before the Lord, prays. Isaiah the prophet gives word to Hezekiah and says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word of the Lord which has been spoken concerning him. And if you read the end of the story, God sends one angel that destroyed 185,000 so that the people rose up early in the morning and all the armies of the king of Assyria were just corpses dead and on the ground. But I want to zone in on verse 21. Because you have prayed to me concerning your trouble. You can choose to complain about your trouble. You can choose to actually look for people to sympathize with you. You know, that's a huge human flaw. That is a carnal nature thing. When you're going out hoping people will just sympathize. There's some people who love to be pitied. They love people feeling bad for them because it makes them the center of attention. They love to be the focus. Oh, did you hear about Charlie? Oh, did you hear about Susie? Oh, did you hear about Laurels? Did you hear about this person? Oh, they love to be it. Matter of fact, we're gonna have, we're gonna have Sister Susie come up today and she's just got a prayer request and she takes 30 minutes just talking about how hard it's been. You know, it, there's people who literally gravitate. They feed off that they love it they're fiends on 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 sympathy they love to feed off other people's pity they love to be the the talk of the community of how bad things have been you can choose that route or you can do what hezekiah did and the bible says when hezekiah prayed the lord answered and said because you've prayed because you didn't choose to complain because you didn't choose to call all your friends and ally with other nations hezekiah could have easily have called a friendly nation and said i need your help to fight this but he said if the lord can't fight this battle then there's no point in looking for security anywhere else Matter of fact, the Bible says, Cursed is the man who trusts in flesh and leans on the heart and the flesh of men. He'll be like a, 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 a bush that does not see when prosperity comes. But blessed is the man who puts his trust in the Lord and puts his faith and confidence in the God of Jacob. The Bible says, Those who fear man, it brings them into a snare. But those that trust in the Lord shall be safe and shall be prospered. Because you have prayed to me and not complained about Sennacherib, but you prayed to me about him. Him, I'm going to now rise up to deliver you. Hallelujah. Number one, how to eradicate the sin of worry. Cast your cares on the Lord. Pray about it. Because two things happen when you pray. One, there's a change that happens on the inside. That said, the worry gets extracted and faith and confidence gets deposited in its stead. But then two, God goes to work to sort out every crooked place to be made straight. He sends his angels before you. Just like in Acts chapter 12, the Lord sent an angel to break Peter out of prison. The Lord will send his angels to break you out of any prison or any dungeon cell that the devil might have launched you in. Anything that would cause you to worry. Anything that would cause you to be troubled in the spirit. The Lord can turn that thing around in one second, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Hannah prayed. And when she prayed, the Lord responded. She got up, wiped her eyes, wiped her face, and went back to eating. The worry left her. She laid her all on the altar. Number two, to overcome the sin of worry. Get in the word of God. Jeremiah 15, 16. Jeremiah says, your word was found, and I ate it, and it became for me the joy and the gladness of my heart. The word of God has the capacity to destroy worry in your heart. Worry is like chaff. Worry is like the chaff. Jesus said, 
His winnowing fan is in his hand. He'll thoroughly gather the, the wheat into his, th- in his, um, into his barns, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So the chaff is worry. It's useless. It's, it's, it's a waste of time to worry. It's paying interest on a trouble you don't even have. It's chaff. It weighs you down. The Bible says the fire will burn the chaff. Well, the word of God is likened to fire. Is not my word like a fire? That, breaks the, uh, like that burns the wood and breaks the mold into pieces. The Bible says when Jesus was speaking to those two men on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 32, when their eyes were open and they knew Jesus, they said, did not our hearts burn within us on the way? Didn't our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us the word of God? See, when the word of God is heard and received, it goes to work on the inside to burn, not only to burn holy passions in you, but to burn out worry, to burn out doubt, burns out unbelief. The word of God is a fire that burns away doubt, unbelief, worry, and trouble in your spirit. And then it burns into you a a confidence, a conviction that God's too faithful to fail. Bible says in in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Worry breaks you down. You ever see someone that's on a mental breakdown? They they can't do much things. They look worn out. They thin out. They don't want to eat anymore. It breaks you down physiologically. It breaks you down spiritually and emotionally. The word of God, Paul said, is able to build you up. And give you an inheritance amongst all them that are sanctified. Man does not live by bread alone. That's why you got to take a daily intake. You want daily victory over worry? Have a daily intake of the word. Every day that you miss on reading God's word is a day where you open yourself up to the portals of worry. You want daily victory? You have to get into the word daily. Give us today our daily bread. And look at what the word of God did in Acts chapter 27. Acts 27, they're shipwrecked. For over 14 days, they don't see sun or stars or moon or light. They're in a, a, a uncharted territory. They don't know where they're at. They're shipwrecked and they don't even want to eat. Not, they're not fasting. The Bible doesn't even say they were fasting. They were just so worried and anxious, they didn't have an appetite anymore. You know, worry can get to that state where you don't even have an appetite anymore. But look what happened. God sends an angel in a dream by night. Paul's sleeping. And the angel says, I've come now to tell you that God has granted your life and everyone else's life on the ship. There will be no loss of life on the ship. So rise up and tell the good news tomorrow. So Paul gets up, Acts 27, and he tells everyone on the ship, he says, an angel stood by me this night and has said, God has granted our lives Therefore, take heart, take heart. So Paul is just delivering the word of the Lord for those people. The word, this is the word of the Lord for you. But look at the effect of it. When Paul delivered the word of the Lord to those people, matter of fact, let me read it. Acts chapter 27 and verse 36. Listen to this. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged. This book is anointed with encouragement. This book is anointed to destroy discouragement. This book can remove every chain of discouragement, 
and negativity. This is a victory book. It imparts victory into your spirit. This is a, a, a more than a conqueror book. It makes you to rise up as more than a conqueror. They were all encouraged. Paul gave a simple word of the Lord to those people, and they were all encouraged. And the Bible says, and they took food for themselves. Whatever lack of appetite that they had because of worry, the moment the word of the Lord came, it did something to them. It wasn't just hearing words. You have to understand, this is not just a book of information that you just read to, you know, God's given us reading material until he takes us up to heaven. This is a supernatural book. It has supernatural words. And these words are the vehicle of God's power. That when it gets into your heart, it goes to war against doubt, unbelief, discouragement, worry, and trouble in your spirit. And it imparts in you victory, faith. So that whatever lack of appetite you had because you were worrying and over concerned about a certain situation, it just leaves. Because you know that you know that you know that your God will make a way where there is no way. Hallelujah. He'll open up the Red Sea. He'll open up the Red Sea. He'll lead me to the other side. Number two, get the word in you daily to overcome the sin of worry. Number three, take care what you hear and how you hear. You can't always control what you hear, but you need to learn to process information in a biblical manner. You can't always control what you hear. Information might cross your, your ears. You might see something on a billboard or advertisement or whatever. But you can absolutely learn to process information in a biblical manner. Philippians 4 tells you what the filter you should put any information through. And decide from there whether it's allowed to stay in your heart or it gets booted out. You know, information comes into your mind first. It's up to you whether you let that information take the elevator down into your heart to stay. Or if you just show it the door and beat it off your mind. Kenneth Hagin used to say that a bird can fly over your head, but it's up to you whether you allow it to build a nest in your hair. Even so, a thought can fly through your mind, but it's up to you whether you allow it to stay and remain there. And entertain it so that that seed, that thought seed, begins to grow and become a stronghold. Every stronghold of the mind begins with a thought seed. And my prayer today is I'm going to pray for you in the moments to come. And we're going to believe God that every stronghold of worry, we're going to cast down those imaginations. We're going to cast down every stronghold of the mind. We're going to take every thought of, of worry in captivity to the obedience of the word of faith. And we're going to believe God for a deliverance from this demon of worry, this spirit of worry, and this mentality of doubt and worry that weighs you down. Philippians 4, 6, 4, 8, sorry. So the Bible says we should put all information through a filter, and here's the filter. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, is it true? If it's not true, then don't entertain it. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, it's good news. If there's any virtue or anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you've learned and received and heard and signed me, these do. These do. So he's saying, do all of this, and then, the verse ends with, and then the God of peace will be with you. 
So the God of peace cannot be with you if you choose to entertain untrue things, unnoble things, unjust things, unpure things, unlovely things, things that are bad reports, things that are not virtuous, things that are not praiseworthy. If you choose to gravitate and allow to those things saturate your life and your mind and overly expose yourself to bad news and unjust things and unlovely things, the Bible says the God of peace will not be with you. But if you'll put all information through the filter of this, is it true? You have a worry of dying early in life. Is that true? Well, the truth says that with long life, he'll satisfy me and show me his salvation. So it's not true. So why am I going to think about it? You're going to get sick. Is that true? Because the Bible says in Exodus 15 that the Lord is Jehovah Rapha. He said, I'll not allow any diseases to come on you. That comes on you that have come upon the world. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. So it's not true. Now, you might receive a diagnosis that gets you worried. And the fact may be that you've been diagnosed with XYZ. But something may be factual, but untrue. It may be factual, but untrue. The word of God, Jesus said, thy word is truth. The word of God is true. So the fact may be there's a tumor in your body, but the truth says that he'll bring you health and a cure. And by his stripes, you're healed. So you can look to the fact or you can be persuaded by the truth and say, the Lord's touching my body now. And though the fact may be there's a tumor here, the truth always trumps. You can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. The truth will always triumph over any fact that is in, ex in, ex in existence. That's why faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence. It's the truth. The word of God is the truth of the things you might not yet see, but they will unfold. They will unfold. So is it true? Then if it's not true, I don't want to hear about it. Is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of good report? Is it good news? Is it bad news? Is, is it, you know, be careful when you hear something. Be sensitive to how you feel when you receive that information. Be careful. Be sensitive to what you feel when you receive information. If it weighs you down and you feel like you had a glass of wine right now, that's not the Lord. That's the devil trying to steal your joy because he knows your joy and your peace is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So if he can get that out, then he can get your strength out. And if you've got no strength, he's totally handicapped you from ever being used mightily of the Lord. That's why Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. Take care, number three, take care what you hear and how you hear. Guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. Jairus, Jesus, come and heal my daughter. She's at the point of death. Jesus is on his way. The people from the house come and tell Jairus, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble Jesus anymore. I'm sure he got discouraged right then and there. What did Jesus say? Hey, Jairus, don't be afraid. Only believe. All things are possible to him that believes. So he got a bad report. He could have easily have said, Jesus, you know what? I, I had faith for you to heal her. Now she's dead. Just go back home. I know you have a busy schedule. You go and do what you got to do. Instead, Jesus counterattacked 
the report of unbelief that was your daughter's dead, which was a fact. Remember, I said truth and facts might be different. The fact was that daughter died, but the truth is Jesus is the resurrection and the life and has come to raise her from the dead. He had opportunity there. He had to take care of what he heard. He had to choose which voice he was going to give more influence to in his life. The attendant in 2 Kings 7, Elisha gives the word of the Lord. This time tomorrow, the economy is going to kick up back into motion. And this depression is going to lift. The recession is going to go back to normal. The attendant said, even if the Lord should open up the windows of heaven, can such a thing be? Elisha said, you'll surely see it, but you'll not taste of it. The king had an opportunity there to say, Elisha, you are crazy. Instead, he kept silent. Let's just see how this works out. If you have worry in your heart and you're tempted to voice that worry and say things you know you shouldn't say, it's best to keep quiet than to open up your mouth and doom yourself to destruction. That attendant was given the charge the next day to, to take care of the distribution of food, which when you're distributing food to hungry, starving people, it's the worst job you can ever have. The next day they trampled over him under underfoot. He died. He ended up dying. So take care of what you hear and how you hear and how you react. Stop, you know, we talked about information of the world, but stop watching movies that impart fear into you. Stop watching movies that, that generate the feeling of fear. Number two, stop watching preaching or listening to preachers that generate worry in you. If you're a Christian who's poor and you don't want to stay poor and you're worried about staying poor, don't listen to preachers that tell you it's pious to stay poor. Listen to preachers that teach on financial stewardship from the Bible and show you how you don't have to stay poor. If your worry and fear is about sickness and disease, don't listen to preachers that tell you sickness is a part of life when that's not found anywhere in the Bible. It is if you're under the fallen nature of the world, but God's delivered us. We've escaped the corruption of this world. If you're worried about your family being destroyed and relationships never being reconciled within your own family and your marriage collapsing, don't listen, don't watch movies that talk about, or TV shows that talk lightly about divorce. The devil wants to desensitize you by making you see what's normal to the world. What's normal to the world should be foreign to us. What is normal to the world should be foreign to believers. Because I might be in this world, but I'm not of this world. I'm born from above. And the Bible says, he that is born from above, God's seed abides in him, and the wicked one cannot touch him. My life should not look like anything. The Bible actually says, he that desires to be a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. That, world, that, that word world there is cosmos, meaning the system of this world. If you want to acclimate yourself with how the world runs things and what's normal to the world, you make yourself an enemy to God. It doesn't just mean if you're a friend to the world and that you do wild partings and drunk parties and you inject heroin and you're a thief and you, you cuss and you, you're on your fourth marriage. He's not talking about that necessarily alone. Yes, it, in, it includes that, but James is saying... If you're a friend to the world system, 
If you operate the way the world operates, if you run your life the same way other people who don't know the Lord run their life, you've made yourself an enemy to God, an enemy to his progress, an enemy to his future, an enemy to his destiny that he has for you. So stop watching stuff that puts in your mind seeds of other people's realities that have nothing to do with what God wants your reality to be. Expose yourself to good reports, good testimonies. So number three, take care of what you hear and how you hear. Number four, monitor your closest associations. Don't just let everyone have influence in your life. You can have many friends, but you should have very few close associations. And those close associations should be people that are heading in the same direction as you. Proverbs 13, 21. He that walks with the wise shall be wise, but the companion of a fool will be destroyed. Doesn't matter if that person is Holy Ghost on fire. If he's a companion of a fool, he'll be destroyed. It doesn't say, and the fool is a f- uh, who hangs around with other fools will be destroyed. It just says the man, whether he's on fire for God or not, the man or the woman who is a companion of a fool, who's intent on going the opposite direction, who's intent on just repeating what the world says, which just spawns worry into place and into motion, that man will be destroyed. That man will be destroyed. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Jesus had an inner three. Paul had one companion that he traveled with at any given moment, and then he had several others that joined him afterwards, but he made sure when someone was not on the same page with him, when someone who was backwards looking, like John Mark was at a point, he broke company with him. I can't, I can't follow God to the level that I desire to. I can't break free from worry if I'm constantly surrounding myself with people that love to entertain worry. I can't break free from sin if I'm constantly surrounding myself with people that are entertained by it. I can't rise higher than the company that I keep closest to me. Jesus goes to Jairus' house and they're all worried and crying. Oh, they had a wailing party. Jesus kicked them all out. He kicked them all out and he carried only Peter, James, and John and the mother and father of the child and they went into the room and he, laid, he raised her back from the, from the dead. If you want resurrection power running through you, then you're going to have to have vibrant faith in you. And if you want vibrant faith in you, you're going to have to monitor your closest associations around you because the voice you hear and hear the most is what will dictate what is in your heart and what comes out of your mouth. So if you have voices of faith around you, it'll put faith in your heart and faith will come out of your mouth and resurrection life will follow. But if you have worrisome people, troublemakers, people that are inclined to talk and and overexpose themselves to bad news and all that stuff, it's going to weigh in on you. And don't think you're strong enough that I could know you're not strong enough. If Jesus had an inner three and when it came to his deepest encounters with the Father... The Mount of Transfiguration, he only brought those three. If you want to go deeper with God, if you want to have deeper encounters, if you want to break free from this sin of worry and the weight of worry that so easily entangles you and sets you off course, you're going to have to monitor who you do life with. The deeper you go with God, the thinner your crowd's going to be around you. And that is true. Jeremiah said, because of the hand of God on me, I sat alone. Sometimes you're going to have to sit alone. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. 
Number five, how to break free from the sin of worry. Watch your confession, your own confession. Your faith will never rise higher than your level of confession. The words that you speak will either produce more worry and more anxiety, or you can use your words to target worry and anxiety and demolish it and destroy it. You can use your mouth to build up faith or break faith down. You can use your mouth to take it to a higher level or keep you at a low level. You can use your mouth to generate fear or generate faith in your life. Don't repeat everything you, you hear just because everyone's saying it. Don't repeat what they're discussing around the water cooler if it violates the integrity of God's word. I will say nothing else. Paul said, I speak nothing else than that which is written in the law and the prophets. I will speak nothing else than that which is written in the Old and the New Testaments of the Bible. I refuse. That's what the word confession means. It means it's two words, two words put together in Greek, homologios, which means the same word or the same thing, the same word. So when it talks about biblical confession, we're talking about saying the same thing as God. That's why it's important to get the word in your heart because out of the heart proceedeth what? Out of the mouth proceeded um, from, from the abundance of the heart, your mouth will speak. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. So if you constantly sow the word of God in your heart, then naturally you'll start speaking it. You'll have confession, Bible confession, homologios. You'll say the same things that God is saying concerning your life, concerning the devil, concerning your situation, concerning the economy, concerning your health, concerning your salvation, concerning everything else. Most people forfeit blessing by their own confession and not due to a devil. Most people lose out. You know, doubt and worry is the greatest thief of God's blessing. More than any devil, more than any demon, more than any other human, doubt is the greatest thief of God's blessing. The devil actually sits by and applauds doubt because he's like, doubt's done things I've never been able to do. Doubt steals blessing more than the devil can ever come to steal, kill, or destroy. And so watch your confession. Don't just, don't be one of those people that, you know, I just say it as I see it. You know, I'm, I, I don't believe in that confession business because until I see it, I won't believe it. Okay, Thomas, great. Don't say it until you believe, until you see it. See how that turned out for Thomas. Blessed are you who do not see and yet believe. And faith is always expressed in what you say. So use, watch your own confession. Number five to destroy and overcoming the sin of worry is don't give worry a voice. If you do worry, don't give it a voice because in doing that, you're gonna crank up the intensity of the worry. Instead, nip, nip it at the bud. Get it out right away. Put a, David said, I put a hand to my mouth. Let the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, my rock and redeemer. Number six, get into anointed meetings. Get into anointed meetings. How to overcome the sin of worry. Get into places where there's a victory spirit. Where faith is being preached. Because when, you know, like I see it all the time. When I preach, you have people that come in looking down. I can tell you in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, a guy comes in night one. He's on meth and he looks suicidal. And he comes and tells me after the service he is suicidal. Well, I prayed for him. I led him to Christ that night. The next day he came back. Tuesday night, he comes back. 
but just two services. This is all there was, two anointed meetings. And after two services, because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, not just freedom from the big sins, freedom from the sin of worry. Just those two anointed meetings, when he got into that charged atmosphere, he comes up to me Tuesday night. I didn't even recognize him. And I'm not saying that to spice this story up. I truly did not know who he was. And he comes up to me with a smile on his face. And he says, hey, brother. He's got a Bible under his, his arm now. He says, hey, brother. He's, uh, I said, hi, what's your name? He's like, you don't remember me? I said, I can't say that I do. I'm the guy that was on meth Sunday night. After you prayed for me that night, I woke up the next morning. I didn't have any taste on my mouth, appetite to do meth. And then all that suicidal thoughts and, and the, the, that suicidal bondage I was feeling, it snapped off my life. And he looked like a guy that could have been casted in for like a Prozac commercial. That's how happy he looked. He went from on meth, suicidal, two anointed meetings. Two days later, Tuesday, he comes up and he says, I'm, I'm, he looked like the Gadarene demoniac. When they came and saw, saw him sitting clothing in his right mind, they said, I've never seen anything like this. It, it shocked them. That's, it shocked me. It's, I mean, I've seen God deliver people over time, but it took two anointed meetings for that thing to snap off his life. Get into anointed meetings. Get where, where the Spirit of God is flowing. And as you continue to plug yourself in, it, it will have the effect of that. You know, the Bible says we are to renew the mind. That's what staying in an anointed atmosphere does. It renews the mind by the preaching of the word of God so that you're no longer conformed to those patterns of worry and you form new patterns of mind and thought in your mind, patterns of faith. Hallelujah. Isaiah 10, 27 says, the anointing will lift up the heavy burden. What worries a burden? The anointing is what lifts it up and it destroys the yoke of captivity. Some people are held captive by worry. The anointing will break you free, destroy the yoke of worry off your life. Isaiah 61 says, instead of your mourning, you'll receive the oil of joy. And instead of the spirit of heaviness, which is worry, the spirit of heaviness. Anybody that's watching me now that's ever worried at any given time in their life, they know. The moment worry starts to settle in and you don't fend it off and it starts to just saturate in your mind, it produces a physiological effect of heaviness. You feel weighed down. feel like you're breaking apart. You don't feel like doing anything. The Bible says the anointing of this Lord is upon me for he's anointed me for instead of the spirit of heaviness to give you garlands of praise. Hallelujah. Or instead of Worry producing complaining, there's the anointing in you that produces praise. Jesus said, come to me. He is the anointed one. And he said, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden by worry and complaining. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you. Worry is a yoke that weighs you down and it drives you in directions you never want to go. And actually, you know, you know how worry works. You start to worry about something initially and then it's a snowball effect. It's a snowball effect. Starts off with a small, tiny little worry, but then all of a sudden, half an hour later, now you're thinking the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. You had a little pain in your knee. 
You had a little pain in your knee and foolishly you went on WebMD and you said pain in knee. And now you started to read up on it and it just fueled your worry. And now the pain in the knee is actually cardiac arrest and you're dying. You need to rush to the hospital and you get there and they say you have nothing. You'd probably just hit your knee yesterday. But there's a snowball effect. I started off with just thinking a little thing. Instead of taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, I let it sit and have influence in my life. And now I'm thinking the worst of the worst of the worst. That's when a yoke comes on you, the yoke of worry, and it drives you in directions, in mental imaginations of things you never would wish on your worst enemy. The anointing will destroy that yoke. I see the anointing destroying on that yoke on your life. I feel the Spirit of God moving right now. That yoke is being destroyed off your life today. Jesus said, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke on you. It's easy and my burden is light and you shall find rest for your souls. I speak to every worried mind right now, whether it be worried about finances, family, uh, physical sickness, disease, whether it be worried about the news reports, nuclear war, what, how a job, what the next step is in life, whatever the worry is concerned with, I speak to that worried mind right now. I take every thought that rises up against the word of God captive to the obedience of the word. And I loose the peace of God that surpasses all understanding on your mind right now. I pray for you. If you're sitting in your living room at work, if you're watching this from a bathroom stall, I don't care. I'm praying for you right now. And I'm believing God that like a flood, the Bible says, had you listened to me, then your peace would have been like a river. I believe the peace of God, like a river, is going to flood your mind right now from the top of your head to the soles of your feet to overflow from within your heart. The river of peace, the river of peace is coming your way right now in Jesus' mighty name. They that keep their eyes on him, he keeps in perfect peace. I speak and prophesy, perfect peace coming on your mind that's going to guard your heart and your mind from this day onward in Christ Jesus. I rebuke worry. I rebuke the winds boisterous. I rebuke any storm that's getting you to be concerned and weighed down with the idea of that storm wiping you out. I rebuke those storms. Look, the good thing about God is when he says, cast your cares on me for I care for you, it doesn't just mean cast your worry on him. And though you're worrying about something that's actually coming your way and it's going to wipe you out, just cast your worry on him. It'll still wipe you out, but at least you won't be worried about it. It's still going to come. You're still going to die. You're still going to, but you won't be worried about it all. And the good thing about casting your cares upon the Lord and him caring for you is he doesn't care for you like a psychologist does where they might wrap their arm around you they might prescribe a nice pill get your mind off of it when God cares for you he doesn't just give you the comfort of the Holy Ghost the paraclete the one who comes alongside to to rid you of those feelings of worry he then goes to war against the thing that's causing you worry in the first place he then goes to deal out with every crooked place making it straight he then goes out to sort out that object of concern. Hallelujah. Let me read this. This scripture just came into my spirit right now out of the book of Zephaniah. And you know it was the Lord because who in the right mind would know this is in Zephaniah? But I know it is. And if it isn't, I'm a false prophet. And if you come and write to me saying you're a false prophet, I'll write back, I'm not even a real prophet. I'm an evangelist. Amen. Zephaniah chapter three. Listen to this. 
What a powerful scripture. Verse 14. And I believe this is what your life is going to look, for, look like from this day onward. Remember, I said it before. Instead of the spirit of heaviness, he gives you the garlands of praise. He puts a new song in your heart. When you're worrying, you don't have a song in your heart. When you're worried, you're weighed down. There's enough, you don't want to sing. Matter of fact, the Bible says that singing songs to have heavy heart is like vinegar on soda. It just, it, 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 it's like nails on a chalkboard in modern day vernacular. It's irritating to them. But when God takes away that heaviness and puts garlands of praise and a new song in your heart, you'll break forth in singing. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout out, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. I'm speaking this over you right now, wherever you're watching from. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. Cast your cares on him, for he cares for you, and he'll cast out your enemy, and he'll deal with all those that afflict you. Listen to this. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. God is by your side. Hallelujah. There is no reason to worry or concern when the Lord is your helper. You don't have to be shaken or bent out of shape when the Lord's the one that's holding you up, when the Lord's the one that's fighting your battles. The King of Israel is in your midst. You will see disaster no more. Man, this is the word of God to you, my friends. Don't take it as just some wishful thinking. This is God's word to you. You shall see disaster no more. I want you to write that down in the comments section. Make that confession. I will see disaster no more. If life's just been a series of disastrous events, you will see disaster no more. The last defeat and disaster you ever saw will be the last disaster you ever see. From today, you're going to glory to glory and victory to victory. In that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, don't fear, Zion, which Hebrews 12, 34 says, we have all come to Zion. So this is speaking about you. Zion, don't let your hands be weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save you. Man, there's such a strong unction building up right now. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you down with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Verse 18, listen to this. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time, God is speaking, I will deal with all who afflict you, who are causing you worry. I will save the lame. I will gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time, I will bring you back and I will gather you and I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes. God is saying, I'm going to deal with everyone that afflicts you. I will save the lame and gather you where you were driven out. I will appoint you for praise and fame in every land that you were formerly put to shame. Everywhere where you're worried about and other people worry about you for, I'm just worried about you. I'm just worried about you. I'm just worried about you. God says every place in which you were formerly uh, shamed on or you were like an object of reproach, people pitied you in that area. God said everywhere people worried about you in, I'm going to appoint you as a place, a place of fame and a place of praise. Meaning I'm going to let you, I'm going to give you a testimony so loud that other nations of the earth are going to hear about what the Lord has done for you. Oh, hallelujah. I will appoint you for praise and for fame 
in every place in which you were an object of shame, reproach, and worry. I will appoint you for praise and for fame in every land where they used to put you to shame in. Just like blind Bartimaeus, they had to change his name to just regular Bartimaeus or seeing Bartimaeus. They didn't worry about Bartimaeus' future anymore. They didn't worry about him being blind anymore because God gave him such a testimony, it actually changed his name. Just like Abraham was seen as the barren guy and the barren woman, Sarah, now they couldn't call her barren. Who, her who was formerly called, oh man, I feel the anointing flowing so strong. John chapter one, listen to, uh, sorry, Luke chapter, Luke chapter two, Luke chapter two. The angel comes to Mary. The angel comes to Mary and tells her, you shall bring forth a child. Born of a, uh, the power of the most high will over, overshadow you. Luke chapter one. That which shall be born of thee is called the son of God. Now listen to this. The angel says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. This is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Whatever people used to call you by, whatever problem people identify you with, with God, nothing is impossible. When you cast your care on him, not only is God going to remove the worry of that thing, he's going to go and turn that thing around so that you'll, your testimony of how you've overcome not only the sin of worry, but whatever you are worrying about, how you've overcome those things will make its rounds around, the, around, around this globe. It'll, it'll, it'll sound victoriously around the globe. Her who was formerly called barren is now in her sixth month. Those that used to call you names and say, where is your God? They will hear her who was formerly called barren. He who was formerly called sick. That one which was formerly called blind. He who was formerly in a legal predicament. He that was going to spend every last dime of his money paying that debt. He who was formerly trapped and ensnared in the snare of the de devil is now in her sixth month, is now seen, is now healthy, is now strong, has been bailed out of that debt. For with God, nothing is impossible. Hallelujah. I, I prophesy in the name of Jesus. You'll be the first in your family. They used to say your family, you know, oh, the, the Thompsons, they... They, they, they all struggled with this. Oh, the Thompsons, they all had this. Just like they said in uh, Zechariah, Luke chapter 1, again. When Zechariah heard from the angel, call your son John. And when the time came for him to call, himself, call his son John, his mother answered said, no, he shall be called John. But the relatives said, there's no one among your relatives who is called by this name. Nobody's called John in your family. I'm telling you in the name of Jesus, nobody was called rich in your family, you'll be called rich. Nobody was called saved in your family, you'll be called saved. Nobody was called healthy in your family, you'll be called healthy. Nobody was called mentally peaceful in your family and you'll have peace. 
Nobody was called delivered in your family and you shall be called delivered. Nobody was called free in your family and you shall be free in your family. Hallelujah. You might be the first one, but you won't be the last one. You'll change the legacy of your family. Whatever people worried about you in, the Lord's taking care of that thing. And from, from your seed now, whatever generational curse followed you, that thing broke in Christ Jesus by the blood of Jesus. Now it's generational blessings that will follow. You and your children. That's right, Andrea. Hallelujah. I, I told you I'd do seven. Number seven, and I'll finish with this, is cut out sin from your life. The fruit of sin is worry. The unregenerate, unredeemed, the spirit that is cut off from God produces fear, produces worry, produces trouble, produces anxiety. The unredeemed spirit produces these things. But the fruit of the redeemed spirit, the fruit of the spirit that's been joined together with God's Holy Spirit is love, joy, and peace. You'll never break free from worry if you're caught up in sin, unrepented sin. Turn to the Lord today. Give your life to Jesus today. Confess your sins, the Bible says, and you shall be healed. The Bible says, if I had regarded sin in my heart, the Lord would never help me. God can't help you if you're intent in moving away from Him. He said, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And when God draws near to you, He draws near in His power, in His peace, in His provision, and in all of His nature and all that He stands for. Draw near to God today. The way you do it is so simple. Admit you're a sinner that you need God's grace. Believe on the gospel that Jesus rose from the dead and confess that Jesus is Lord of your life. Have you ever done that? If not, do it with me right now. If you have done that, but you'd like to recon recommit your life to Christ, to Christ today, you'd like to get back on track, you've fallen astray, loss of a loved one, some sort of tragedy, a loss of a job, uh, some sort of event that transpired in your life that knocked the wind out of your sails and you're not serving God with all your might but today you're saying I want to get back on track I want, I'm want. i through being lukewarm I'm through being indifferent I'm through having one foot in one foot out I'm through being on the fence I'm launching myself in the plan of God for my life today I am coming to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and in faith the Bible says when you do that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord hear me now if you've never done that and you'd like to do that now or if you have but you'd like to rededicate your life to Jesus today pray this with me right here right now from the bottom of your heart say father in in Jesus name I believe you raised Jesus from the dead I confess Jesus is Lord come fill me with your Holy Spirit forgive me of all sin turn my life around I'm a new creation today the old is passing away everything becomes new I will live for you give me your spirit to endure to the end God is my father Jesus is my brother and Lord and Savior and I'm never looking back I'm saved, I'm forgiven, and I'm going to go to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I would love for you to go on salvationnow.ca. Someone can put that in the comment section, salvationnow.ca. 
The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Click that link, fill it out, get that information to me. I wanna send you a package free of charge. It's a Bible, some reading material. It's gonna greatly help you. I wanna get that to you as a way of welcoming you into the family of God and a way to set you on a track, get you set up and started in an appropriate manner. Salvationout.ca, first link is I just got saved. Click that, fill it out. I look forward to hearing from you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.